evening. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach while pastor's away. And, um, you know, it's been a while since I've been out to Heartland, but, you know, hopefully they have a safe time and a, a safe trip out there. I don't know if anybody else is going to be making it out there this week, but um, it's, a, it's definitely a nice trip out there. I think, Stephen, you're going out later in the week, aren't you? So, you know, a few people are going to be out there for the graduation. Um, it is a, it's a nice time. Um, now, this evening, I'll give you an opportunity to turn to the, the scripture we're going to be looking at this evening. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, so if you have your uh, Bibles with you, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, I am always thankful for the opportunity to be here. This is actually the first time I've preached since getting married. I'm not going to really say anything about that just because my wife's interpreting and she'll be really embarrassed if she has to talk about herself. So I won't say anything else about that. Um, anyways, this evening, um, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, we're going to read the first seven verses. We're actually going to be covering um, most of the entire uh, chapter uh, this evening. Um, some, of the, some of the verses are very, very familiar with anyone um, who's been in church for, for a little while. But there's a, going to be a few verses in there, and we'll kind of hit on those. Uh, but we're going to be going through essentially the whole chapter this evening. Uh, but to start off, let's go ahead and read the first uh, seven verses. And then we're kind of going to go through the chapter itself and just kind of look over the chapter's theme and then how that applies to us and, and what's important for us to take away from this. Um, so like I said, let's start in chap- chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. If you would mind, uh, pray with me, and then we'll get into the, the message this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, just the, the powerful words um, in your word and just the, the uh, beautiful um, truth that is presented here. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give me power um, and allow your spirit to communicate the truth to everyone here and you know, encourage us just with the truth and also challenge us each to be able to live uh, a life more pleasing to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, as, we, as you read in these verses, um, just kind of give you a, a quick snapshot of what these seven verses kind of are. If you, if you look at them, and we'll kind of go, go through those again, but these essentially explain to us the, the past, present, and future of a believer, or of a person who's saved. It, it shows us what we were, what we are, and what we're going to be. And even as we continue on in the later parts of the chapter, we're going to see this. But really, it's it's in essence showing every person, every human being, where we are. But it goes through that and says, you know, this is where you were. 
this is where you are now if you are a believer in Christ, and this is what your future is going to be. Like, it, it, it does a, a great summary. Like, this whole, and this whole chapter does this. It does a, a sweeping summary of all history, showing exactly where everyone was, where everyone is in Christ, and it even in mentions there kind of the idea of those who don't believe in Christ, where they stay, and the future. And so, this right here, it, it, it does this a sweeping arc of time. It just shows everything. As, as you'll see here, first of all, it says, You hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, how many of you ever have ever gone out into the country somewhere, and you're out in the farmland? Now, I grew up in Idaho, and there's a lot of farmland. And there's different places where if you go into different farm territories, there are signs that are put up. And it says, No trespassing. Now, sometimes it says, you know, trespassers, you know, may be prosecuted, or sometimes there's even, you know, not so nice signs saying, if you trespass, or if you go onto this property, these are the potential consequences to you. In some places, especially if you go to areas like in Texas and other places in this country around the world, if you trespass and you go beyond that sign, you may be taking your very life into your hands. And the idea is that, you know, it says no, tr- no trespassing. And it says that the idea here, it says, you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And, you know, go back to, you know, the familiar verses in Romans, you know, for, you know, the wages of sin is death. Those, those common verses, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Those are all, you know, very common verses, very well known, especially among Bible believers. The idea here is that you have he quickened. So you were dead in trespasses and sins. Every one of us, every person that is breathing and alive at some point is dead in their trespasses and sins. As the idea is that as a sinner, you're, you're born in sin. And you're dead in your sin. You, can, you, can't walk in God's, you can't walk in God's truth. You can't be pleasing to God because you're born a sinner. And at some point, you begin to learn the truth of God. And, and you all know this as people who around children. There, there's a point that comes where they're no longer just doing what they want because that's kind of what they do and they're just naturally sinners. You know, a, a baby, when they're born, if they're crying and they're having an attitude, they still don't quite understand really the difference between right and wrong. You know, they, they might be disobedient or, you know, angry or, or, or fussy about something. But they don't really understand what they're doing that is right or wrong. But we know that that's their nature. That's their sin nature that's in them. That's kind of acting out. Now, as the child gets older and they start understanding right or wrong, and many of you parents can probably recognize this, you have that defiance. It's not so much that they're innocent anymore and they're just doing what they want because that's how they act. They're becoming openly defiant. And they know what is wrong and they know something what is right or wrong and they willfully decide to do what is wrong that's kind of the idea here in trespasses and sins the idea is that we're dead in trespasses and sins we are born sinners and as our nature we are sinners at enemy and at enmity with god we're enemies of god but then as we begin to understand right or wrong we willfully become enemies of god we willfully disobey and we willfully sin. And so the idea here is 
that it says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So as you are sinners, whether it's by your nature or willingly, God has raised you up. He's made you alive. He's quickened you. He's made, that's what the word quickened means. It means to be made alive. And watch this now. It, it continues on and it explains this more. It says in verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Now, in, when you were in trespasses and sins, you walked according to the course of this world. You did, you did what you were doing the way everyone else does. Everyone does this. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So, you see right here, it, it even kind of explains those who no longer, they, they hear the word of God, and you can maybe be made alive by believing and having faith in God, or you can continue on in disobedience and ignore God and become the children of disobedience. And so, the idea here is, it says, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, we know this to be in reference to, to Satan, or he's the one who is the prince of this world. And if you, and, and think about this, if you go back to the idea of Satan, how did Satan become Satan? He was the most beautiful of angels, and he decided that he wanted to be God, and he lifted himself up in his own mind because he thought that he should be equal with God. And so he took, he thought that he should have God's place, and he thought that he himself should not be subject to God. That spirit, that attitude, is what lives in all of us. That's what causes us to sin. This idea that, you know what? I should rule my own life. I shouldn't have to follow after God. I should be my own ruler. I should be in charge of myself. And so, now we have this idea that, well, one, you're dead in trespasses and sins. And you're walking according to the spirit of this world. You're walking after that attitude of of Satan. That, you know what? I don't want to be subjected to God or under God's authority, I will live my own way. I will live my own life the way that I want to. And the children of disobedience, that's how we used to walk. But whenever we turn to God and we turn away from that, we are made alive and we are able to walk after God's, after the course of God. And it even says this in verse 3, because watch this, this. Like I said, this is our past. It says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. And verse 4 is one of those great verses. It says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even as we, when we were dead, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. So it, it kind of wraps that all up together. It says, you know, you have the quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Who is that? Who is dead in trespasses and sins? Everyone. Anybody who does not believe or follow after Christ, they are dead in their sin. And it says here, why did God do that? It's because he's rich in mercy. Now, the idea here of rich in mercy, it, there's, there's rich in power, rich in glory. The idea of rich in mercy means that he has a lot of it to go around. When you think about people who are rich... What does that mean? That means that they have money. When you think about somebody who's rich, it's not somebody who's, who's middle class, who's getting by. It's not somebody who's out there just kind of like barely making a living. They're, they're barely making their mortgage payments. They have just enough money to pay their rent. That's not rich. That's, you know, maybe middle class. You have other people who might be a little well off, 
But when you think about rich people, like really, really rich, remember those, that old TV show way back in the, like the 80s and the 90s, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? The idea was that these people had so much money, they had like extra houses. They had 30 cars in the garage. They could have a different car that they drove every day of the month. Rich. People who have so much, they don't even know what to do with it. They have all these zeros in the bank, and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do with this money. And that's kind of the idea we're here when it says God is rich in mercy. It means he has, he has a lot of mercy. He's not going to run out of mercy. He's, you're not going to come up to that point. If you've not come to the place where you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you might think, well, you know what? I, I've done so much wrong. Or I've lived so long, and I've done so many things against God. There's no way that he could forgive what I have done. And I, you hear that from some people. I've lived a wicked life for so long. There's no way that God could forgive me. There's no way that God could look past my sin or the things that I've done. But he's rich in mercy. And those people don't quite understand. You know what? God has so much mercy, he can forgive anything. Anything. And he's willing to. And it says this, as you read those, that verse 3, it says, We all had our conversation in times past. Verse 3 says, We were all in the same position. We were all in the same boat. We were all children of disobedience. We were all following our own life. We were all doing our own thing until verse 4 happened. And God, who is rich in mercy, he, he made us alive. That whole, that whole section right there, it, it's talking about the idea that our past is one where we were under the judgment. We were under God's condemnation. And our present, if you come to the place where you've accepted Christ as your Savior, and you've accepted His mercy, and you have been saved, the idea is that you've received His mercy... And you, you are now made alive. You are now able to walk according to his commandments. You are able to walk pleasing to God. And it says, hath quickened us together with Christ. <coughs> By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together. Now look, this is our present. This is where we are now. If you've been saved, this is where you are. Not only are you forgiven. It says this. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So our past is one where we are in sin. And in the past, when we accepted Christ as our Savior, we were forgiven and we were made alive. And we weren't just made alive just to sit there and be made alive. It wasn't like, oh, hey, you're alive Go on, do your own thing. We were made alive for a purpose. And the, the rest of this chapter goes on to explain more of our purpose. But right here, we see that we're made to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You know, that, that, when it, that song, This World Is Not My Home, I'm Just Passing Through, that's kind of like the idea that's presented here. We're no longer citizens of earth. We are now a part of heaven. When you become saved, when you get saved... You are no longer a part of this world. You still live here. You still have to live and breathe and walk in this life. But your life is now in Christ. Your, your soul is in heaven. You are there. It, it's, it's, your, it's your status. It's not one of those things where... This kind of goes against the idea of, you know, that you can lose your salvation as well. We're already in heaven. In, in the kind of idea here is like, we're already there. We're just still in this body for right now. But as far as God is concerned, we're in Christ Jesus. Where is Christ? Where is Christ right now? He's in heaven, right? 
if our life is a hid in Christ, our life is there. We are just staying inside this body, but our life is there. We're, we're in Christ, and we're in Christ, and he's in God's hand. And there's, no, there's nobody that's taking us out of that hand. We're there. We're in heaven. And the, the thing is, we now have to live like that. Now, a couple of verses here, a couple of phrases or, or words that are very key here. And we're going to kind of go ahead to verse 11 and see this. But it says this, and has raised us up together. Now, this chapter is a very unique chapter because it explains actually a, a lot when it comes to Jews and Gentiles and how Israel fits into the picture of Christ and into the picture of the church. And this is, there's a lot of history that kind of goes into this. And when it says together there, it's actually beginning to introduce the idea of, of Jews and Gentiles being together. And this idea of raised us up together, when it's talking about raised all of us up together, it's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Skip ahead to chapter or verse 11 really quick. It says this, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now... In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now, I would say for the most part, all of us that are present here this evening, to my knowledge, are all Gentiles. No one that I know of is a Jew in here. Now, as Gentiles, there was a distinction, especially at this time. When you look back at the time when Paul was speaking and writing this letter to those in Ephesus, to the Ephesians... He was writing this letter to people who were Gentiles. And in many of those places, you know, they were very familiar still with the temple. The temple of Israel was still there. People were familiar with that. And there was this, there was a, and if you go through it to Jerusalem and you were to go to the temple, there was a, a thing called the court of the Gentiles. And at the court of the Gentiles, there was a curtain or there was a, div, a dividing mark. And unless you were a Jew... You were not allowed to go into the other side. And up to this time, if you realize, all throughout history, the, the, the commandments, the law, the prophets, those were all given primarily to the Jews. Those weren't given to everyone. And the Jews were the ones who had the primary responsibility of maintaining the law and keeping it. And showing it and demonstrating it. And even among the, even here like in Rome or Ephesus where these people were, the Jews and the Gentiles, you had the, their experience and understanding was that the, the tabernacle, the temple, everything else, there were certain sections where the, the Gentiles weren't allowed to go. And for the most part, anyone who was a Gentile, they were, they were considered strangers. They were considered outsiders. They weren't allowed inside the, the ideas of the Jews. They weren't allowed to have access to this. And here it says this in verse 14. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And so right here, Paul does this amazing summary of the history of Israel, the history of the Gentiles, and how Christ affected that. And so the, the change happened with Christ. And it's up to this point, if you think about it, the Israelites had the law of God. They had the truth of God. And they were the ones who were responsible for sharing God's truth with the whole world. If you go back to the promise of Abraham, they were responsible for sharing that with everybody. And the Jews failed in their responsibility. They disobeyed the law of God. They had access to it, and they disobeyed God. Gentiles had no access to it, and they were without hope in the world, and they didn't know the truth either. But both of them were guilty before God. Both of them were guilty of following after their own desires, and both Jew and Gentile were guilty as sinners before God. This verse right here explains what Christ did. Christ, through his sacrifice, made it possible for forgiveness to be given to anyone who believes. So, Jews who had the access to God through the law and had disobeyed God were guilty. Gentiles who did not have the truth of God were guilty. And Jesus Christ, when he came and died on the cross, it says that he put enmity and that that division between them, he was able to make one man out of the two of them. Now, this doesn't mean that, and if you go into Romans, there's a lot in there. This doesn't mean that he's done with Israel. He's not saying, I'm done with Israel, this is past. There's a lot of future prophecy that has to do with Israel. But the point here in this, of this passage is that everybody, every human is guilty before God and dead in their sin. But God, who is merciful, allowed Christ to die and pay the penalty of that sin and give forgiveness to anyone who is willing to believe and follow after Christ. And As we wrap up the last part of this chapter here, it says this in verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And so the idea here is he's showing them that now that you are believers in the church, for right now in the church, Israel and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, are able to experience salvation. And through Christ, we both have access to God our Father through the Holy Spirit. So when we get saved, we are forgiven for our sins. We are put into Christ, who is in heaven, We have our position in Christ, which is secure forever, and we are now able to have access to the Father, for there's one mediator between man, 
the man and God, the man Christ Jesus. We don't have to go to the temple anymore. We don't have to go to a priest. We have direct access to God, which is something that neither the Jew nor the Gentile had ever until Christ came along and through the Holy Spirit, we now all have access to God the Father. Now, I skipped over a few verses kind of on purpose here, and these are the ones that we're very familiar with. It says this in verse 8. And now, this is, these are the verses you, you all know from, from Ephesians. It says this in verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I don't know if you notice this, but it's, it's rather interesting in verse 8 and 9. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, those two verses, those are, are well-known verses. Now, I want you to think about this in the context of Jews and Gentiles. Both the Jew and the Gentile are saved by grace through faith. Now, the Jews, I think the, the verse here, those, that verse, not of works, lest any man should boast, when you have the Jews and the Gentiles sitting together in a congregation, especially at the time of Ephesus, imagine this. You have the Jews and the Gentiles sitting in there. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what would ha- had happened to the law? The law for the Jews had become the works that they used to get to heaven. But it says faith. God expects faith and his grace is what saves us. So the Jews and the Gentiles met together under the same condemnation, the same guilt, the same punishment, and the same penalty. And it's grace and faith in Christ Jesus, not of anything that they did. So... All the works, all the, all the keeping of the law, or all the, the, the not having access to the law, or the, the lack of knowledge of that, the ignorance of the law, it didn't matter. It said, by grace are you saved, through faith. And the Jew and the Gentile were on common ground right here. And it says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Now, this is one of my favorite verses personally in, in the scriptures, but this word, workmanship, is actually a very... Uncommon, uncommonly used word in the New Testament. It's actually used twice. It's used once in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, and it's talking about the creation of God, and then in here, the workmanship. And it's the word, or it's the Greek word where we get our word poem, or poetry. Now, how many of you have ever heard like a really nice poem? Like, read a nice poetry? I know, Franz, you do a lot of English teaching. You know, you have some really bad poems, and you're like, really? That, that, no. But you have some really good ones. Like, you have some really good sonnets and some really good, you know, good poetry. And the one, the one thing about good poetry is, when you have really good poetry, it clearly communi- communicates an idea and a thought, right? It, 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 it expresses, in a very beautiful way, maybe a very simple thought, or a profound thought. But a poem does, has one main purpose. To communicate a message. And it demonstrates something. And 
what here it's saying is, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Everyone, whether it's a Jew or a Gentile, in this whole passage right here, it's talking about Jews and Gentiles, it says, we're his workmanship. This whole idea of, you know, in the past, you were under God's condemnation and you were sinners, you are presently forgiven, and you have a future in heaven forever. That idea, think about that. Think about where you came from before you got saved. Where did you come from? You may have been raised in church and had no experience, but you may have gone your whole life and recently gotten saved. You may have lived your entire life after your own plans, your own way, everything else. You had no concern for God. It doesn't matter, in essence, but what he's saying is, we're all his workmanship. So, when you got saved, when you got to the point where you trusted Christ as your Savior, whatever your past might have been, whatever it is, that's all forgiven. But to think about that for a moment. When it talked about our past, living in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, even as others. Think about that. We were living our life according to our own ways, our own wishes, We were living in sin, and we had no concern for God. We had no hope in this world without God. And it says even in in verse 12, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So everybody, every one of us at some point was without God in the world. We had no hope. We had nothing. But Christ died and God showed his mercy toward us, forgave us for our sins, and didn't just forgive us for our sins and leave us there. He put us in Christ Jesus. And even as we walk in this life and we live in this flesh, we have access to God our Father. Right now, every one of us has the ability and the privilege to go to God in prayer. You didn't have that before. Before you got saved, you didn't have that. Before you got saved, before you trusted in Christ, and before you put your faith in God's grace, and put your faith in God's forgiveness, before you had that, you had no access to God. None whatsoever. You were without God in this world. No hope. Think about that change. Think about that difference. To go from on your own in this world, you can be surrounded by friends, surrounded by acquaintances, whatever else it is. You can have hundreds of people or nobody. Whatever, it doesn't matter. This life, from then, you were without God. And when you asked God to forgive you, and you accepted His mercy, you automatically became the children of, child of God. You were, you are joint heirs with Christ. You are in Christ Jesus. You're in heaven. And you're able to go to God as your Father. Think about that change. That's, that's not like a light change. That's not, that's not little. That's not nothing. That is huge. To go from being in the world with no hope, without God, to all of a sudden, you're forgiven, you're made a child of God, you, you live with Christ in heaven, and you can go before God and cry before Him as Abba Father, and we have access to the Spirit at any time. That's a huge change. Now, it says this in, in the rest of verse 10. It says, Which God hath, that, oh, created, un, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. You know this whole idea, that whole Calvinism stuff that pastor says, you know, is, is a bunch of, like, garbage? 
it is a bunch of garbage. When it says this right here in the foreordination or the predestination, I want you to read verse 10 here. What are we preordained or foreordained to? To walk in good works. Who's foreordained to walk in good works? The workmanship of Christ Jesus. Those who have been created in Christ Jesus. So, the foreordination of God, the predetermination, the predestination of God, is for those who believe to be conformed to the image of Christ. This has nothing to do with God saying, I've determined you to be saved and you to be lost. It has to do with the idea that, you know what? If you're saved, I have determined that you become like Christ and you walk in good works according to Christ. That you follow and you live your life in Christ Jesus. That's what God has foreordained us to. If you are in here this evening and you have trusted Christ as your Savior, that is God's plan for you. Simple. Nothing else. Simply that you walk in good works according to Christ Jesus. That you walk according to the commandments of Christ Jesus and you live in that life. Now, overall, as I was, as I was thinking about this, if you, if you look at this whole chapter in a nutshell, again, it's the past the present, and our future in, in glory. That's, that's it. It's past, present, future, whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile. And that whole concept of this being a story, that's God's story. We're his workmanship. Now, if you look down through that whole verse, this whole chapter again, who does all of the work? Just re- If you read through that again, when we look through that, it says, you know, God who's rich in mercy raised us up together, put us in Christ Jesus. We're there. We're here. And it says, you know, build this up together in one, in one thing. Who does all the work with all this stuff? Who does all that work? We are his workmanship. Who's doing all the work here? It's Christ, correct? It's God doing all the work. It's us having faith in Christ and doing that. And our, 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 we have a simple task. This whole story, this idea of, of God telling this beautiful story that, you know what? I'm going to be rich in mercy. I want to tell this story. I want to show my riches in glory. I want to show my mercies great. I want to show how rich I am and how plenteous I am. And it says this in verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God wants to demonstrate his goodness and his grace and his kindness to everybody. And how is he going to do that? He wants your life to be a testimony. He wants every one of us to demonstrate all that he's been doing in this whole chapter. That's what he wants us to do. This, this whole chapter is all about what Christ has done. He's taken your past. He's forgiven it. He's put you in himself. He's put you in heaven. He's given you access to God so that you are not alone in this life. As you walk through this life, no matter where you are, you have access to God Everywhere you are, at all times, without fail. And he wants you to know your future is in heaven. And he wants you to live today, showing that to everyone around you. That's what he wants. That's what this whole chapter is about. It's you, in your life today, showing God's past, present, and future. And as you walk out and you conduct yourself, what you need to do is you need to give testimony to what Christ is doing here. As you live for Christ, as you obey God's commands, as you testify and give testimony, whether it's through your life or verbally explaining to people what salvation is, 
You're living out these verses. And that's what Christ's desire and that's what God's desire is for each and every one of us. If you've never come to the the knowledge of Christ as your Savior, that's the first step. If you're saved, he wants you to demonstrate that. Tell people about it. Live your life according to good works. That's his plan. He has foreordained that you walk in Christ. That you walk in good works. That's his predetermined plan for every one of us. If you're in here this evening, again, if you're saved, walk in good works so that you can be the workmanship of Christ Jesus. You know that I mentioned the other verse that uses that word poieo or poemel. It's from Romans chapter 1 verse 20. And it talks about how that God's creation shows forth his power to everyone so that no one is without excuse. No one can say, I didn't know God had created this. If you look at the creation, it's so obvious that there's a creator. It's so obvious that somebody planned all of this. It's so obvious that God has control of it. That you have to willfully deny God's existence and God's influence in creation. If you want to be an atheist, you can't really... I don't believe there's any atheists. There's agnostics. People who refuse to believe God is. They know he is, but they refuse to acknowledge it. There's no real atheist. They're all agnostics. They're people who refuse to believe that God is. Because his creation is so obvious. The idea here is, as God's poetry... Each and every one of our our lives should be equally evident as all creation. People that look at creation and deny God, we kind of look at that like, what's wrong with you? How can you deny God exists? The same thing should be said of your life. Anybody, regardless of who they are, should be able to look at your life with the same examination that they look at creation. And by looking at your life, they can't deny God's existence. Your testimony should make it so impossible that when people meet you and you explain to them what Christ has done in your life, you should be so evident. You should be demonstrating that so clearly that they have to willfully deny God's power in your life to not accept it. You have to be so obvious and so clear about it that they have to choose to deny what God has done in your life. We'll be wrapping up here. I want you to think about that for each and every one of you here at your life right now. Is it so evident in your life that when people want to deny God, like, is your life evident to the point, have you demonstrated Christ's work in your life to the point when those around you, they have to just kind of say, you know what, I refuse to believe your testimony because it's so clearly evident of God. Like, that, that should be our desire, that God has done work in our life to the point where when we go out and we demonstrate ourselves and we, we, we live our life, I just, one thing I, I think about, and I don't want to like overwhelm you with like personal testimonies here, but I, I think about like when, when we were getting married or, or planning our wedding. One thing that was really odd about planning the ceremony, planning, making the preparations, in, in some degrees, some people looked at, at Anita and myself like, you guys are kind of weird. There's something different about you. That, that was the attitude. And, and when you have a life, you know, and, and neither, in, in no way, and that's why I don't want to overwhelm you with a personal testimony. It's not, it's not a, a braggy thing. I, I don't mean that at all. It, you know, it is God's grace. But it, it was kind of funny because as we were 
trying to conduct ourselves in a relationship properly and, and trying to please God in a relationship. And I think, Franz, and you have this very similar testimony. But as you're trying to conduct yourself in an appropriate manner, people look at you like, you're so, you're different. That's kind of weird. And, but the funny thing is, some people are like, oh, that's kind of nice. You know, there was, a, there was a degree of that where they're like, it's weird, but it, it's so uncommon that it makes people stop and think. It, it, it gives them pause. And I, I'm sure you probably saw that too, Franz and Sonia. It, it gave people pause. Like, there's, there's a difference here. There, there's something unique about this. And that, that's kind of on the, that's on the path to this. That's on the path to what is being described here. It, the idea being that the way you conduct yourself and the way you behave yourself, whether it's at work and it's, you know, when you're at work and you have those opportunities to cheat. As Pastor mentioned this morning going through Daniel, you know, Daniel had a great opportunity. You know, who would blame him for disobeying God's word under threat of the Babylonian king? Who would, who would blame him? Who would blame him for being disobedient and, and just going along with the flow? Who would blame him, really? Like, honestly, who would blame Daniel for, for not wanting to, to rock the boat, for not wanting to do that? Nobody would. And, and honestly, nobody would, would sit there and say, no. There were hundreds of others that were in the same position as him that didn't do the same thing as Daniel and his three friends. But when they did, they stood out. They, they, were, they were elevated in position among everyone. They stood out as being very different than everyone around them. And when you, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you're around your friends tomorrow and you're, you're doing these things, when you're around your unsafe family members, your attitude and your behavior and your conduct toward these things is going to be what's going to make them stand up and take notice. And... You're not always going to have the opportunity to sit there and pounce on them and give them the plan of salvation, you know, in a complete, you know, dissertation, and they're going to get saved right then. But you're going to start planting the seed. It's, it's not you explaining salvation tomorrow and them getting saved the next day. It's, it's working and, and constantly showing that in a demonstration. And, and the thing is, and me personally, it, it can be more difficult among your own family members. It, it's a challenge. But those are the opportunities. And as you're, as you're growing and you're demonstrating what Christ has done, you're, you're working as his poetry. And, and just think about that. You're, you're his story. You know, you're not, this isn't one of those things where it's like, you know, how beautiful do you look? No, it, it's, you're telling a story. And the one thing, I am a story person. And, you know, every one of us, when we hear those words, those infamous words, once upon a time, and you hear the story, you're automatically drawn into the story. You want to hear what's happening next. We all love a story. And the one thing that's great about stories, even when you get to the end of a story and it says the end, you know the characters go on, you know, whether it's happily ever after, whatever the ending is, the story continues. And, and the thing is, it's great about being a story or being God's poetry. It doesn't matter if you mess up. Because even that's a part of the story. Because the idea is that we're humans that are demonstrating God's grace in our everyday lives. And I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. And the only time we're going to be perfect is when we're actually present with the Lord. 
in our physical bodies and we're in heaven, we're absent from this life and we're present in, in heaven with God, that's when we'll be perfect. But until then, we're going to go through our everyday life just struggling along. And as we live that life out, we're telling God's story. And we're able to do it because we have His grace. We have His forgiveness. We have access to God because we can go to Him. God, I messed up. God, you know what? I, I don't know what's going on in my life right now. God, you know what? I'm struggling with this area right now. Or God, you know what? You've blessed me so greatly. I, I can't believe how you know, you, you've touched my life. You're working in my life right now. I'm amazed at this. We have access to God through the Spirit all the time. And as we continue to tell that story, it's not over. He's continuing to use and demonstrate and use us to tell his story of his grace over and over again. And, and that's why it, it's so beautiful, the idea that, you know what? If you're alive and you're breathing today and you're saved, God is still using you to tell his story. And again, it, it doesn't matter how, if you've messed up or if you've made errors or made mistakes. I'm not going to say who cares, but that's all a part of the story. So take this opportunity this evening. We're going to start time of invitation, you know, but I want you to, you know, if, if you bow your heads, close your eyes, I want you to think about this for just a moment. It, it's, the idea is, you know, you, you are telling God's story. You know, and, and if you've messed up, whatever your challenges or whatever the difficulties are, whatever your struggles might be, just take some time this evening to, you know, sit down. Because, again, if you're saved, we, again, we have access to God. We have access to our Father through the Spirit. So take time to maybe speak to God and say, you know what? This part of my story is kind of needs to be rewritten, God. I need your help in, in kind of changing this or editing this. I need to, I need to work out some of these problems. Or maybe, maybe God's blessed you in some great ways and you want to thank him for that. And say, you know what, God, you, you've blessed me in this and, and I've started a new part, part of my life. You know, give me direction. Show me what to do. Or, you know, maybe, you, maybe you've never gotten saved. You need to come to that point and say, you know what, God, I'm not saved. I need to take time, speak with somebody this evening and, and to get that taken care of. So, Zadie, we're going to give um, the piano player some time to, 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 to play. Um, and just if... God has spoken to you and there's anything you need to come and talk to God about, you know, make sure you respond to him. Let him know.